Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. It is the 21st of June. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. In the beginning, God said, what? No, no, God didn't say what. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Today is, uh, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, the day that you are going to have more light in terms of amount of time that the light is shining in the darkness. Uh, we're talking about the you know, technically longest day of the year even though every day is actually the same length. But the hours of darkness and light, uh, you know, there's a variety there. So there you go. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. John puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and shall not overcome it. I can think of nothing better to talk about today. On the day when those of us live in the Northern Hemisphere will have more hours of light than any other day of the year, I can think of nothing better to talk about today than the light of the world. I remember that through the prophet Isaiah, God announced his plans. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you believe that? I mean, that's not just a nice, you know, Advent Christmas passage. That's the word of God. Do you believe that? Do you see and experience and walk in the light of Christ? Jesus is the light of the world. His light shines in the darkness of this day. And in the darkness of these days, Jesus is the living hope in the midst of a culture of death. He's the great, glorious good news in the midst of all kinds of bad news. Do you believe this? The light shines in the darkness. Every year for generations, um, Gallup, which is a, you know, they ask people a bunch of questions and people give them answers and then they aggregate all of that information and they tell us, you know, sort of like what's going on in the culture around us. Well, for generations, Gallup has been asking Americans what we believe. I shared yesterday the, the sort of top line that the percentage of Americans who confess to believe in the reality of a God who is has sharply declined. So before we talk about what people don't believe, I want to establish what I believe. I thought this morning I would just use the Apostles' Creed. But I do this as an exercise of encouraging you to be prepared to answer the question. What do you believe? 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there he shall come to judge again the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Universal Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And these beliefs are based on the revelation of God in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. And these beliefs are based on my personal experience with God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I see everything through the lens of these beliefs. What do you believe? And how does it then affect how you live? Do you believe in the reality of the God who is? And if not, what do you believe? And why do you reject the God who is? We're going to talk next with Nick Pitts about belief and, frankly, a rising tide of unbelief. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. What do you believe and why do you believe it? That's the question before us this morning. Joining us is Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Carmen. All right. What did Gallup ask and what did people say and what is the trend line on the answer to that question? Yeah. So Gallup has traditionally put out a poll indicating trying to gauge Americans' belief in God. And what we're finding is it's down six points from 2017, belief in God. Now, 81% of U.S. adults say they believe in God. It dropped the most among young adults and those on the political center left. Um, Specifically with young adults, it dropped more than 10 percentage points compared uh, to an average of polls from 2013 to 2017. Very fascinating. We're beginning to see emerge a group of individuals younger as well as those politically aligned to the center left begin to not believe in God. So Gallup has asked this question over time. It's also asked this question in a variety of ways as the conversation in the culture um, maybe has changed over time. I mean, at one point they ask you know, do you even believe in a in a higher power or a spiritual reality? Like they tried to even expand the question. Um, when I hear the question, do you believe in God? I am thinking about a very specific revealed person, right? I am thinking, mm-hmm. <laughs> I am thinking of God, big capital G, the God who is. But, you know, it, the, the question isn't even that specific. I mean, it's really a question about um, spiritual reality. And so I do think that there is a lot here for Christians to recognize about the the culture in which we live and the opportunity that we have. I mean, it's no longer a, a functional atheism. It's a genuine recognized atheism. You, you highlight two points that I think are 
really, um, I want to just come back and want to stress one is again, the question it's simply, do you believe in God? It's the highest spiritual being. It can be ethereal. What we know from the, what we know from other research is that approximately 56% of Americans believe in the God of the Bible. So to specifically iterate, they're following after the God of the Bible. It's a much smaller percentage than the 81% that we saw um, uh, identified in Gallup polling. The second would be the idea of culture. Um, research has generally held that people, uh, religious people, rely on more gut instincts than factual analysis when it comes to religion. However, new research is showing that it's more of your culture upbringing social environment plays a more pivotal role when it comes to the formation and the introduction of religion than gut instant than factual analysis you live your way more into a religion than you uh, reason your way into it and so this is the drop in the idea of god is more what we what we're beginning to see is it's less an emphasis on the mind. People aren't thinking their way to God. It's more on a, they're not seeing God at work in the community, and therefore they're not gravitating, being allured by that community. Yeah, that um, that number in this poll was really staggering to me that, you know, it's only like four in 10 people who believe God can and does intervene um, four in 10 believe God can intervene on people's behalf. I mean, what kind of God do the other people believe in? Like, yeah. I mean, what kind of God is that? If, if only four in 10 people believe that God can intervene, then uh, I mean, I don't even know what that says about what other what everybody else who says they believe in God believe about God. It's uh, it, it sounds a lot like the uh, Thomas Jefferson's. He's the uh, intelligent designer that was the watchmaker in the sky. Oh, uh, wound he, up the clock. He wound up the clock, and then he's just let it talk, tick and talk um, without intervention, which is a conception of God, but it's not the God of the Bible. Yeah, which just gets us absolutely back to the conversation about not only knowing what scriptures, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments declare, reveal about God, but opening the Word of God with others and actually um, developing an honestly biblical worldview, not a worldview that's adapted, you know, based on the beliefs of something that somebody told you one time, but actually getting into the Word of God, letting the Word of God get into us and allowing that to shape and form um, how we see things, how we respond, and certainly um, then how we represent God to others. It's um, it's critically important. All right, Nick, let's take a very, very brief break. Then we come back. I'd love to talk with you about just this rising tide of violence on the right and on the left um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the culture today and uh, and what we're looking at. We're talking with Nick Pitts from the Institute uh, for Global Engagement. We're going to continue our conversation next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and I'm Carmen LaBurge on the Faith Radio Network. What's the price of peace? How much would you pay for a peace prize? We're going to talk in a minute about the sale of a Nobel Peace Prize auctioned off yesterday. But right now we're going to talk about a heart of war and a growing tide of violence here in the United States of America. Nick Pitts is with us from the Institute for Global Engagement. 
Um, Nick, we got protesters at the homes of Supreme Court justices um, with violence uh, in their, uh, I mean, at the forefront of what they're doing. Um, Violence against pro-life pregnancy centers and churches across the country. More violence expected related to uh, not only the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs case, but in relationship to the work of the January 6th committee. Um, Let's talk about the threats of violence against those who take a position um, upon which we disagree. Yeah, comments. Increasingly, we're starting to see a rise and not just simply disagreeing with someone, but trying to eliminate them. We've seen it uh, three weeks ago with Judge Kavanaugh, who had the assassination attempt on his life and on his life of his family as well, with the police thankfully catching that person. We're seeing it right now with the protests in front of uh, justices as they're waiting. The Dobbs case relating to abortion here in the U.S. is beginning to amp up. We're seeing it on the other side of the aisle relative to Republican uh, Representative Adam Kinzinger um, sharing a, a, a executioner note that was sent to him and his family for his work. He's doing on the January 6th committee investigating what's happening, what happened with President Trump on that fateful day in 2021 to then on the political right. We're seeing um, uh, uh, a candidate for governor, not for governor, the former governor of Missouri, a candidate for Senate, Eric Greitens, um, releasing an ad yesterday where he was brandishing a gun saying it's rhino hunting season, which rhino meaning Republican in name only and beginning to show just provoking violence against individuals that don't align politically and ideologically with him as he's trying to secure a vote and win the Republican nomination for Missouri, um, for the Missouri uh, Senate race. It's just, it's increasingly illuminating what we've already known through the data that there's been an almost 10 percentage point jump in the number of individuals uh, that say they justify violence uh, for those that they politically disagree with. It's upwards of 34% right now of Americans. And it really is very illuminating and it's antithetical to who we are as Americans. Americans, we believe it to be true that we've given, we've been given this ability to be able to peacefully disagree with one another. Hence the reason why we have our freedom of speech and this mob rule and this this idea that we're going to force our way through violence does justice to the very spirit of what America stands for. I think um, understanding what God has said and and specifically what Jesus has said and demonstrated in relationship to um, the use of violence against those with whom we politically disagree is essential. And Nick, I mean, it's not lost on me that... Um, that we have used militaristic and even um, violent language in the Christian community. I mean, I guess I'm thinking here about, you know, like onward Christian soldiers uh, marching as to war, right? Um, But when we talk about the king and the kingdom and we talk about the advancement of the kingdom in this generation, it's about the advancement of the gospel. And it's not about, um, you know, the, the approach to evangelism where, you know, you, you know, you tell people you either kneel to the, kneel to the cross or I'm going to, you know, cut your head off with a sword. Like those days, those days are not exalted as the, as the righteous means of evangelism. Um, and, and yet that seems to be like a, a place in history to which we have returned. Yeah, I'm I'm reminded of uh, the G.K. Chesterton line of the true soldier fights not because he hates who's in front of him, 
but rather because he loves who's behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that there is a growing contingent of Americans that are so in, enraged in and have been developed, enveloped in hate for the other side that they have they have lost sight of the reason why they're fighting and the love that should be compelling our work instead of the hate that's fueling our, our attempts on violence. And I just, it's it's just it's sad. It's dangerous. And it doesn't seem to be um, tamping down anytime soon. OK, fuel seems like a good word for us to focus on. Um, because if I think that part of my challenge when I'm talking with people who are um, they have moved in a direction of a willingness to uh, violently take up, you know, the, the quote unquote sword in opposition to others. Um, my challenge is always to get to some point of reasonable conversation because they are pretty spun up. Um, and I do think the fuel conversation is a good one. Like what is fueling that? Where are you spending your time? What are you soaking in? Um, you know, who, to whom are you listening? And if the voices you're listening to are saber rattling and, um, and seeking to gen up, uh, violence, then those are not voices that are aligned with, with the voice of Christ. They're, they're just not. Oh, no. I, and I, I would say that we've got a big problem on our hands right now, right? Like, it's very clear that um, that we're increasingly becoming more, we're seeing there's an increasing number of Americans that believe violence is going to be the the uh, the solution to the problems that we face. And that's a big problem. And I don't want us to jump to think that we need a big solution. Um, I'm reminded of what Jesus did when he saw the big crowd that was hurting, um, that were scattered and uh, battered sheep on the hill. He didn't try to form a big hospital to try to bring all the sheep back in, but rather he prayed to the Father in heaven. Then he turned to the disciples and he said that the harvest is plentiful, the, that the that the it's plentiful for harvest, right? And then he commissioned each one of those men to go out and to tend to the harvest. I think we've got a big problem right now, but we've got a bigger God that's calling us to the small solutions of just being peacemakers within our communities and not fueling the the hate and the violence by clicking on those links, by giving attention to those individuals that are trying to enrage us, but rather doing the work of peacemaking, which God called us to in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, we got to learn to sow peace, and then we got to trust God. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Nick, as always, um, thank you so much. It's always a delight to talk with you. That's Nick Pitts. You can follow him on Twitter, at Pitts. He's also at the Institute for Global Engagement. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. It's summertime, summertime, sum, sum, summertime, 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 sum, sum, summertime, 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 sum, sum, summertime. It is summertime. Um, so a, a handful of years ago, and this, ha- this, is, this story only goes back a handful of years. So a handful of years ago, um, there was a journalist in, um, in Russia who stood up an independent news source. And that independent news source... Um, was ultimately shut down. Um, so it was an independent Russian newspaper. Um, basically, the the English version of the name would be the New Gazette. And the um, 
The man behind that newspaper was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize in October of 2021. He announced at the time that the the half a million dollar cash award that, you know, that came with the actual gold medallion that, you know, is the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, he had already, you know, given away that half a million dollars in cash to charity. Um, and then at the beginning of June, um, he wanted to have an auction. He wanted to auction off his Peace Prize to give the proceeds to support children um, who have become refugees in the war uh, that Russia has is waging against the people of Ukraine. And so um, the, the online auction uh, started at the beginning of June to coincide with International Children's Day. And then um, it, it concluded in a live auction uh, in New York City uh, that started uh, on Monday night. And so bidding ended yesterday. And when bidding, uh, when the bidding concluded, the number was, and I'm going to read it, uh, $103.5 million. $103.5 million. Um, the, the, uh, the organization UNICEF disclosed um, that within minutes of the uh, auction closing, that they had already received the funds. So it's, it happened, um, it happened very quickly. It happened with, you know, frankly, without a whole lot of pomp and circumstance, but I want to make much of it today because I want to ask the question, what is peace worth? What, and what is the cost of peace? And, and how much are we willing to invest in peace? And while this is a, a, you know, non-Christian effort. This is a purely humanitarian effort. No one involved in any of this, uh, uh, you know, not this gentleman from Russia, not the uh, the Peace Prize Committee, not UNICEF. None of them are, are seeking to expressly advance the gospel. But let me tell you, this is advancing the gospel. Like, right? Bringing, um, bringing good to bear on the lives of other people is a substantive declaration of the good news of Jesus, who who came among other things, right, to um, to feed hungry people and certainly to care for children. And so, I want to ask us today, as Christians, what are we doing? What are we doing to advance the gospel, not only in word but also in deed? And how are we celebrating those who are advancing the cause of peace in the world? What what kind of peace are we sowing? Um. We are, we are quite ready to give people a piece of our mind. Some of you have already given me a piece of your mind this morning on the text line. How are we sowing the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding? I mean, what does it look like to actually sow peace in the world today? And if you don't possess and aren't possessed by the peace of Christ, you don't have it to sow in the lives of others. So let me encourage each of us and all of us to snuggle up to Jesus today. He alone is the Prince of Peace. Um, Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and minds today that we might have peace to sow in the world that he so loves. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns.
Well, did you sleep well last night? Have you slept well for the last month or so? Luke Moon has not really slept for the last 30 days because he's been shepherding young people um, in Israel, but he's now back in the United States. And Luke, we are, uh, we're glad to talk with you, and we know that you, uh, you. That you need some rest. Well, you know, I'm on the right side of the the jet lag because, you know, when you come back towards the U.S. from Israel, you wake up early. And uh, since since this call is early (laughs) and I'm not I'm not a I'm not a morning person, Carmen. So every every other Tuesday is a real sacrifice. Oh, my gosh. I have to get up and, and, you know, wax intelligently about the. You know, international affairs. <laughs> okay, but you and left. Both, uh, you you left. You departed, and Israel's parliament fell apart. I well, you know, it's are so, these two are these two events related? <laughs> um, I, I can't speak to that, Carmen. You know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we will not. Um, we will not hold you accountable for holding it all together in Israel. Um, they are gonna. Um, they they are going to have another election in Israel. If you guys aren't read in on that, that's going on. Um, talk with us about um, World Vision. So there um, there are some headlines related to a World Vision employee who's now been convicted of funneling money to Hamas. Um, this is actually a story that you have been following and engaged on for a long period of time. So tell us the story, Luke. Right. So uh, back actually a long time ago, back back in seems like such such a long time. Back in 2016, uh, the guy that was in charge of uh, World Vision's work in Gaza was a guy named Mohammed Al Halabi, and he was was caught uh, funneling money to Hamas. Not not directly money, but like you know pipes that were intended for irrigation you know, got funneled into, you know, Hamas where they could be used to make rockets, uh, you know, you know, cements that, that got used to to build terror tunnels, that kind of thing, right? So it wasn't next necessarily direct funds transfer, but it was certainly problematic. And he was he was caught and and has as of last week been been found guilty of of uh, funneling money to Hamas. Now, World Vision denies all of this, saying that, you know, the amount of money he supposedly was funneling was more than the budget for Gaza overall, uh, that they had in, in they, they hired a, a international forensic auditing company to uh, go and look through their data and find, you know, you know, how the if, if any money was was inappropriately used. Uh, and they came up with the conclusion that it wasn't. And yet uh, Halibi, Halabi himself uh, had con- both confessed to it, um, in not only, you know, under under when he was interrogated about it, but also uh, while he was uh, in in prison, he was, uh, you know, talked about it to to other people uh, in those. And, and so, you know, the evidence really is you know it, it's it's a lot of you know one of the challenges for, for israel is that the, the information it got to 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 use against halabi uh was was arrived through you know like secret means in a sense they have informants and that kind of thing and so they can't release the informant details 
because that would jeopardize, you know, the lives of those informants. Um, and but it, it does create a bit of a mess. But the you know the long story is Carmen is that World Vision's work in 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 Israel uh, was was at the time very problematic and very I would say like anti-Israel. I mean even they refused to name their office in Israel under Israel. It was it was World Vision Jerusalem West Bank and Gaza, and that was intentional because for whatever reason World Vision's work in in Israel specifically was different than their work everywhere else. You know, one of the things I, I used to say a lot is, you know, if there was, you know, they work in, in Syria, I've been to their work in in Iraq. And, you know, when they work with the with refugees in those places, you know, that they, they send out the newsletter that says, you know, help us help the kids of of Iraq. Right. Whereas when they were doing their work in Israel, it was like Help us help the kids in in Israel. Oh, by the way, the Jews are terrible, right? It was it was really they had to like twist the knife for some reason, and it was it was really problematic for the organization. And uh, I, I think it was it was really unfortunate and and kind of damaging to I think World Vision's otherwise pretty good reputation in other places in the world. Yeah, and we've had um, Edgar Sandoval here on the program, um, not to, to speak uh, directly on this topic, but we'll circle back around for those of you that are listening and, you know, and want an update on World Vision's work and, um, and what's happening. Um, just recognizing that this case that we're talking about is very specific to um, the work of World Vision in, um, in, in, in the Palestinian territory like right so we are this is a very very specific and narrow conversation that we're trying to have about one aspect and in fact one employee um of uh of a global ministry um luke I would also say, yeah. Carmen, if i could on to, to, to with with edgar so when i i wrote a long form article back in 2016 about the long history of antagonism that world vision had towards israel and before I released the and you know published the report that I wrote, I I asked to meet with World Vision officials, and Edgar was one of those people that was at that meeting, and and he was at the time he was just the vice president, and he was clearly bothered by the revelations that I brought forth, and you know was seems very um, committed to making sure that the the errors of the past would not would not become part of the future. And so I, you know, I on the on the Israel front, their work in the West Bank and and that that whole thing, it was has historically been problematic. But the, their work in other parts of the world, you know, I've been to the refugee camps um, that World Vision funds in for, for Christians in in Iraq and you know, it's they're they're doing good work, and it's a you know it's a giant organization, um, three billion dollar budget, which right. is which is huge, right? And so, I mean, it's it's obviously problematic that this you know has happened, but it also, I think, World Vision still does does good work, and absolutely. I, and I, I yeah. want them. I want them to know that. We have somebody, you know, texting in right now. Hey, it's, you know, I, I sent World Vision, you know, money for 
um, for the issues related to Ukraine. Uh, Luke and I are are in no way suggesting that um, that the Ministry of World Vision in other places um, today is not absolutely a wonderful um, conduit uh, through which resources from here in the United States of America are reaching the rest of the world. Really great ministry happening um, through World Vision. We're trying to address a very specific situation related to one employee and the actions that he took um, in uh, in not only using World Vision funds, but clearly other funds as well um, that probably bypassed the World Vision system altogether in order to funnel money to Hamas. Um, and this, you know, and this now goes back a number of years. So I just wanted, you know, just to clarify and be clear what we are talking about and what we're not talking about. And just, I think, recognize, Luke, that, you know, the um, the actions of one individual can, um, you know, can lead to a very large ministry being besmirched. And that's not what we're seeking to do. Um, you know, I, I think that they have, you know, it, they've made the internal changes they needed to make as well. Right. But it's also a challenge. I mean, the, and and this is a challenge for for all large um, NGOs that do work in places where I mean they're essentially in conflict zones, right? And the right. choice that that they have is like our goal is to help the people, but you know I mean one of the things that came up after this was um, there they they had funded money to um, or or had funded some work related to an NGO that had terrorist ties in Sudan. And the challenge was consistently like in order to get the get, you know, resource, not resources as in money, but in turn, like, you know, food and medicine, whatever, like you had to make some unfortunate uh, conversations with people. Right. And and that's the you know, in a lot of conflict zones, it's not easy to operate, right? And I, and again, I don't think um, what what makes the the situation with World Vision problematic in in Israel and Jerusalem, the West Bank, and Gaza was it was so obviously antagonistic towards Israel, mm-hmm. and it was distinctive from other conflict zones because they do a lot in those places, right? There, nowhere are they saying. You know, you know, uh, help us help the kids of Syria. Oh, and by the way, Assad is a monster and should be destroyed. Right. Like they never they never added that extra line of of vitriol anywhere except in in Israel. And that was to me the, the thing that that marked the difference between their work there and other places. And I think that, you know, it, when when this before this all came out. World Vision's work in Israel, they had about 115 employees, and I think they probably have only about 10 now. Mm. Um, And it's because this was an area where they had significant, um, uh, like, issues with being able to separate, you know, the professional work of of helping widows and orphans with the, the animus that too many of the staff had towards Israel. We're talking with Luke Moon. He serves with the Philos Project. We're gonna um, we're gonna talk when we come back about things that Luke has learned um, and uh, learning that he then applies through the Philos Action League, coming alongside 
the Jewish community when acts of anti-Semitism happen. And I'm going to ask him to apply that learning um, for those of us who want to come alongside crisis pregnancy centers and churches in our own communities that are now being targeted um, by pro-abortion activists. So that conversation up next, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. We're facing a challenge in the United States of America where pro-abortion um, activists are targeting pro-life crisis pregnancy centers, pregnancy centers across the country, churches across the country. Um, the Department of Homeland Security is telling us to actually expect more, not less, of this kind of um, uh, violence, not only against property, but ultimately, you know, the threat is against people. We have um, protesters Young women wearing what I will describe as blood-soaked clothing, carrying baby dolls um, with their mouths taped shut and their hands uh, bound, um, you know, in front of the home of Amy Coney Barrett and, uh, and you know, and her children. Um, we've had a, a credible threat against the life of Justice Kavanaugh. Um, and so I'm going to ask Luke Moon, who stands up an organization in in the Philos Project called the Philos Action League. And the Philos Action League is designed to equip those of us who are interested in coming alongside our Jewish neighbors when they are targeted in anti-Semitic attacks across the country. Um, and so, Luke, I'm wondering if you can tell us what you've learned, what you do in um, in in the Action League, and how folks who want to might apply some of that learning in coming alongside pregnancy centers and churches that are targeted um, in, you know, in the current environment in the United States? Yeah, no, it's uh, one of the things that, I mean, basically, I'll tell you how I, I learned it. It was, it was completely actually on accident. I, I think I'm, I, I've said this at one point that I, I got asked to go cover a, a um, an anti-Israel rally which happened to be on a sh- on Shabbat in a in a majority Jewish town in New Jersey, and and because the Jews couldn't show up in that town, so I was like, oh, you know, it's gonna I'll go talk about the rally and and cover it, kind of journalistically, and and on the way I thought, you know what, I'm gonna do something else, and I went by CVS and I got a poster board and a marker and I wrote, I stand with Israel and Jews. And I stood there with my sign um, as, you know, <laughs> 250 anti-Israel activists screamed and yelled and, you know, called me names and laughed at me and, you know, spit in my direction and all that sort of stuff. And and I just happened to take a picture, a selfie of myself standing in front of, you know, with my sign in front of this massive group of people. And it was the only thing I've ever done, Carmen, that went viral. But I mean, I got so much um, uh, like it, like it was so encouraging uh, to 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 the Jewish people in that town that, you know, I actually a friend of mine recently actually who, who happened to live in that town said he became famous because he was friends with me. Right. Like it was like, you know, he, he said, look, you have no idea what that meant to mm. our town. Like I was I was in every, uh, you know, newsletter in the town because of what I did. And it, it seemed at the time like such a small 
act, but I had no idea the implications of it. And I think part of it is, is that we are so used to the, I mean, you know, the, the hashtag activism, right. You know, changing, you know, the, your logo on your social media or saying something on social media as being sufficient to, um, you know, move the needle on anything. And the reality is that, you know, we are, we are spirit and body. And if we don't show up in body that we're missing a huge, not only opportunity, but we're missing it is a powerful witness, right? I mean, the, I mean, the disciples, they went out, went out in pairs, right. To, to preach the gospel. I mean, this, the, the physical nature of being agents of peace and reconciliation actually really does matter. And I saw those that, you know, that this, that, that picture of, of those girls that had the, hmm. you know, the, you know, that, that you were describing. And honestly, there was not more than a dozen of them. And yet they've been all over the news. I've seen pictures of them for days. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it, it, a dozen, a dozen. I mean, you know, I guarantee that there are more than a dozen people listening to this show right now that could get up uh, and go stand in front of the local crisis pregnancy center with a sign that says we stand in in solidarity with, um, with, with I don't know, with 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 those who need help with with unexpected pregnancies and for the sake of the children who are, who need to yet be born. Uh, I don't know, whatever the sign says, but what I figured out is that you got to show up. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's, I mean, it's, it's really that, it, you know, it, it seems complicated maybe, but actually it's not, it's very simple. It's, it's when you, when you see something, you gotta just, uh, you know, the, the first instinct should be, how can I physically show my support to these people? Right. And it could be, you know, when when something happens, I mean, it, it, the way that we do it with the Fields Action League is anytime there's an anti-Semitic incident anywhere in the country, somebody shows up with white roses and says, Christians stand in solidarity with you. That's it. It's very simple. And uh, like the the amount of feedback we get for that simple act is still blows my mind. Right. Because it seems so small and so, you know, perhaps simple, but it it blows through the clutter of of so much uh, just noise that's out there. And obviously we we take pictures of that and post it on social media, but it's not it's like social media is not the driver. Social media is is like the the kind of alerting the world to what we did physically, not the other way around. Yeah. Right. No, I, so, yeah. I think it, it does matter. It does matter. Um, so um, show up, um, say something positive and encouraging, be an agent of, of peace and grace and reconciliation. Um, when you're making your sign, it needs to be pro. It needs to not be yeah. against. It's about who I stand with and what I stand for. 
Um, it yep. does not address the issue on the other side. It's not an attack ad. It's a it's a who I'm standing with and what I'm standing for. I um uh, Luke, I had a, a friend who responded to this um, in a, another conversation that I was having online and said, "Hey, and on your way, go buy some Sherwin Williams anti graffiti coating." Right. Because right. like, right, once you get the once you get the red paint that they're throwing on the doors or or once you get the graffiti off, you got to coat the building with something. And anyway, there's actually a product out there that does that. Like, right. Like do something. If you're if you're like one of those people that wants to get out there and do something proactive, there's some proactive stuff to do as well. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And, and like it, it should be like there's something happens, especially in your town. The first action is like, what can I get like get off your yeah, actually get up and go. Just get up and go. Drive across right. town and you know, you and you say to yourself, Well, I don't know anybody there. Well, you will after this. Just show up in body and say something encouraging yeah. and be an agent of peace yeah. and reconciliation. You don't have to have a poster board and you don't have to have white roses, but if you showed up with those, that would be nice too. Right? Right. Exactly. Go. Hey, and we you got... can pick that stuff up at CVS on the way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, because you know, be like Luke. I, that's my going to be my new mantra. Just be more like Luke. Hey, man, thank you so much. Blessings. Um, we love that you're such an encouragement. Uh, and I uh, I love the physicality of it all showing up in body um, and in spirit, saying something encouraging. That's Luke Moon. You can find him, find him at the Philos Project. You can find him at Providence Magazine. You can find him uh, on Twitter. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All summer long. All right, it is a great day to be an agent of grace and a person of reconciliation. Let's get out there. Let's sow some peace. Let's bless others. Let's exalt the Lord our God and glorify him. Let's build each other up. The light shines. Don't let the darkness overcome it. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.